When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Tune in to the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8867 on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. This is the 15-Minute Lunch Break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon here on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. I'm here every Tuesday and Thursday at 12 noon with 15 minutes of motivation, inspiration, and empowerment to get you through the rest of the week. Today, we want to talk about the idea of the inevitable experience of living through the valleys. The renowned theologian Oswald Chambers in his most profound work, My Utmost for His Highest, says we are not built for the mountains and the dawns and aesthetic affinities. These are from moments of inspiration. That is all. He says that we are built for the valley, for the ordinary stuff we are in. And that is where we have to prove our mettle. Spiritual selfishness always wants repeated moments on the mountain. We feel we could talk like angels and live like angels if only we could stay on the mountain. The times of exaltation are exceptional. They have their meaning in our life with God, but we must beware lest our spiritual selfishness wants to make them the only time. This is a challenge we face in this life, wanting to make the mountains and its peaks our dwelling place. Everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to finish on top. In fact, most of us want to start out on top. Being ordinary, starting out at the back of the pack or having handicaps are all positions that are scorned. No one relishes being the last out of the blocks. We all desire to not only be the best in the end, but we also want to be the best at the start. Being the best, being the claim that's the best, and reaping the benefits of the status of the best has become the mantra of the majority. But how can this philosophy even work when being the best suggests that one has to be the best of? Even the youngest of children learn rather quickly that life will bring you into contact with many more losers than it will bring you into contact with winners. Maybe that's too harsh a take to have on it. Let's just say it this way. In life, we will run into more runner-ups than winners. This is because of the fact that winning is usually the domain of a single person or a single team. As a relatively avid sports fan, I'm the type that gets thoroughly excited about events like the Olympics. I plan my times of viewing the elite competition between the various duties that I have to complete on a daily basis. And regardless of the number of times that I've had the privilege of witnessing these athletic endeavors, 
I'm still moved by the passion and zeal that these elite athletes demonstrate as they either wrestle, box, ride, run, or swim with great determination to first outdo their last best performance and then essentially work to outdo everyone else lined up at the start with them. Many of them train for years with the singular focus of making it onto the podium where prizes are given. And in the Olympics, regardless of the event, the prize giving ceremony is the same. Athletes who win get to stand on the highest step on the podium. They're adorned with the gold medal, maybe given a bouquet of flowers or symbolic wreath is laid on their heads, almost like a crown. And the flag of their country is raised highest of all the flags. And the anthem of their country is played on the public address system. As much as the other athletes have also trained, sacrificed, and curtailed the normalcy of their lives to ensure that their physical bodies are operating at optimal efficiency, there's still always only one winner. For an athlete that competes at the elite levels of their sport, they understand that not winning is a present reality. It's an ongoing factual reality of the field of athletic endeavor. As you embark on a training regime, you don't ever train to lose, but you do train with the latent knowledge that there may be someone out there that can outplay you or outrun you on any given day. Therefore, many athletes use what I like to refer to as the therapy of psychology, in which they train or practice with the focus of besting their last best performance, rather than being distracted by the likelihood that another competitor may outdo them. The greats have the capacity to psych themselves up just based on the goal of accomplishing more than they did on their last performance. This is how they keep going. This is how they're able to dedicate the time, energy, and purpose to a task that ultimately can be greatly discouraging if they lose. This kind of thinking is what we can all call, all call sacrificial living. That's, why, that's how you live through the valleys. In our world, in our time, courageous acts of sacrifice have become the fodder, the diminishing substance of an endangered segment of society. To promote and to affirm the need for sacrifice or sacrificial acts of giving and the surrendering of our desires and our affinities to pleasure and our leanings toward fulfilling some I can't live without needs is to advance what many call an old fashioned mode of thinking. Elite, amateur, and now professional athletes make enormous sacrifices in their lives just to qualify to compete in the Olympics, to make their respective country's Olympic team. And for many of the eventual reward is simply the receipt of a medal with little to no real monetary value attached or economic gain involved. This is an act of sacrifice in and of itself. Some athletes have to make the tremendous steps of quitting jobs and living on donations and stipends and moving to cities far away from their hometowns and families and altering their diets and even abstaining from sexual contact with their spouses for extended periods of time, all in an effort to chisel their bodies and sharpen the precise thinking of their minds so that they could be at their peak in the midst of intense competition. The sacrifice that athletes exercise can be parallel to the valley existence described by Oswald Chambers in the opening quote. The mountains signify the award podiums, the encroaching paparazzi, the acclaim of the fortune that comes at the conclusion of a winning season or a victorious run. But what about the things that you keep going, that keep you going when your only reward is a good night's sleep? What about when your reward may be a simple breather between reps or a bland bowl of salad eviscerated of the sugars and the salts that characterize what you know to be treats. I'm endeavoring to speak to the person whose life is more like that of the athlete in the valley of training and conditioning for competition 
than that of the same athlete relishing the rewards of victory in competition. Most athletes would quickly admit that they don't enjoy the intensity, the strain, the strength, and the effort that are expended in training, but they certainly understand that it's worth it when they're experiencing the thrill of victory. I want to speak to those who strive for the peaks, but understand that they were built for the valley. It's hard when you're a pursuer of the peaks that you must make your way through, guess what, the valley, through the context of valley experiences. Valley experiences are grounding. They keep us planted securely on terra firma. Regardless of how highly we aspire mentally, we must always face and fight through the doldrums of the ordinary stuff of life in the valley. Just as athletes prove their skill, aptitude, and endurance in competing at the next level by their grit in the mundane activities of mileage, conditioning, circuits, and weightlifting, God also is looking for us to prove our mettle in the seemingly commonplace exercises of how we deal with disappointment, delayed gratification, frustrating challenges that pepper the landscape of our lives, and stubborn problems of varying kinds that one is seemingly at a loss to solve. We live in a society that extols greatness. Contemporary cultural thinking is enamored with the ideology of what can I do to succor and support and uplift and advance me in the here and now. The mantras of our culture have become these catchphrases of what I call me-ism, most of which are so intrinsic to our current philosophies of life that when you hear them, you are first struck by their familiarity and secondly, by how profound you once considered them to sound. There are the refrains like, depend not on another, but lean instead on yourself. True happiness is born of self-reliance, or self-interest is but the survival of the animal in us, or survival is the domain of the fittest, or the simple one, just do it. If it fits your fancy, just do it. You only live once. If it floats your boat, just do it. If it makes you feel good, just do it. You've got a right to pursue happiness. These philosophies perpetuate the need for us to always be the winner, to be the one that finishes first or finishes fastest, the one whose flag is raised or the one who gets photographed the most. Essentially, it creates a mindset that strives to stand on top of the podium. And if this doesn't happen, one ends up depressed and disappointed with life, feeling that they have not lived if they have not won according to the world's terms. According to most commentaries, there's a psalm called the 84th Psalm. Despite the absence of the name of the writer being mentioned anywhere in the text, there's much good reason to believe that David was its author due to his similarity to other psalms of his, in particular, the 63rd Psalm. It is supposed that David composed this psalm when he was forced by Absalom his son's rebellion to quit his city. David laments his absence from his city, not so much because it was the royal city or the seat of his throne, but much more because it was the holy city and the seat of God's throne in the earth. This psalm is characteristic of a soul longing for communion and connection with the gracious God. The psalmist, with great devotion, expresses his affection first for the ordinances of God, his value for them, his desire towards them, his conviction of the happiness of those that did enjoy them, and is placing his own happiness so very much in the enjoyment of them. Secondly, he expresses his desire towards the God of the ordinances, his faith in him and his conviction of the happiness of those that put their confidence in him. That's the 84th Psalm. When you have time, 
Go in your Bibles, check it out. Not going to read it just because time doesn't permit. What does it mean to make a well, which is derived from the sixth verse of this psalm? The psalmist talks about worshipers passing through the valley of Baca on their way to Zion. As they pass through this valley, they make wells. What does this all mean? Making wells and valleys on the way to the house of worship, on the way to commune with God is an action that has within it great imagery. And I believe remarkable revelation about how we ought to deal with life in the valley, especially in the valley that makes the mountaintop even that much more inviting. How do we prove ourselves in the midst of an ordinary life and not lose momentum and trust in God to do extraordinary things for us, even if we never have the opportunity to stand on the peaks of the mountain? You've heard the saying, if life gives you lemons, you know what? Make lemonade. It's that kind of mentality that I would like to suggest that that mean that that same make it a well is talking about. When the storms of life seem to be inundating our lives and even shaking or flooding the previous safe places of our existence, can the solution be to make a well with the water that's around you in the valley? This is a 15 minute lunch break with Pastor Hugh J. Harmon here on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. I hope this inspires you, encourages you, and listen out every Tuesday. Thursday at 12 noon for another 15 minutes of encouragement from Pastor Hugh J. Harmon. God bless. Tune in to the Bridging the Gap radio show hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon live every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Be a part of this challenging but life-changing show discussing men versus males, educational issues, parenting tips, and learning how to be faithful in trying times. That's the Bridging the Gap radio show, hosted by Pastor Hugh Harmon, live every Sunday at 5 p.m. Call in and be a part of the show at 347-855-8867 on Never Had It So Good Gospel 107. Remember, positive communication is the key to success. Powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network.